0: I'm going to be reading verse 1 of that chapter through the first part of verse 12. Now, for the sake of those who may not have taken part in our study for some time now, a few months. Um, I've been addressing the 14th verse of chapter 2, and just as a matter of a reminder, I'll read that verse first. And talking of Christ, it says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And what I've been doing with that verse is pointing out the second part of the verse, where it says that Christ is purifying unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works and pointing out that this is something that He's doing, that He's doing. And it is for Himself that He's doing that. And I'll repeat myself again. We think about our going to heaven and spending eternity with Him and we probably don't think much about He's got to spend eternity with us. So He's working His grace in His people. And so that's been the theme of the lessons I've shared with you for some time. Then I moved up to verse number 11 of that text, which goes with verse 14, and it says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. And... uh, of course, I've I preached several messages on the subject of grace, uh, trying to make this point that grace is more than f- favor and more than riches as we might define it. People say grace is God's riches at Christ's expense and it's unmerited favor, and it is both of them, but I think that uh, there's not no question in should be in anybody's mind that I have made the point that grace is more than that, that grace is something God puts in us, and the Bible says that, the Bible teaches us that, that it is in us and it works in us to accomplish His purpose uh, as, as uh, He would will that to be for our life. And then we come to the place to where I was pointing out the very first... Uh, mark of these people that he's purifying unto himself Is that they're teachable And that's an important point That they're teachable Because it says of grace That it teaches us And I shared with you a message or two On how grace teaches us And we find in the Bible That there are other things that teach us There's the Holy Spirit He is a spirit of truth Leading us into all truth There is the Word of God, which in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, it is instruction in righteousness. And then I pointed out that there are those that God calls to be uh, teachers, that we can be taught by them. So how would grace teach us? I believe that grace is that inspiration that makes us take advantage of every opportunity we can to learn from instructions that we're given. So that is what works in us. And of course that raises a very serious question. What is the difference between people who are eager to learn and love the Word of God, and you can read several statements that are made in Psalms 119, where the psalmist talks about his love for the Word. So what's the difference in someone who loves the Word of God and someone who can take it or leave it or not pay any attention to it or whatever? And the answer to that is very clear. It is the grace that is in them. It is that which inspires us to learn, to be instructed and to learn. So that's what I've been doing for some time. And so this morning... I'm going to start with this question. What is it then that grace teaches us in this context? And the reason I say in this context is that we might think, now let me show you this, in verse 11, the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us, we might think that what follows that is the lessons that grace teach. Because it says teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And so you'd be right if you said, well, I believe that's what grace teaches us. But I want to point out something interesting, interesting to me anyway, to you. And so that's why I'm going to read verse 1 down through uh, the first part of chapter, uh, verse number 12. So you follow me as I read. And what we have here is we have a list of practical instructions for how a child of God should live. And so I want you to note that as we read. He says, beginning in verse 1, But speak thou the things which become a sound doctrine. This is Paul talking to Titus. He said that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in charity, and in patience. That the aged, aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, love their husbands, and love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, uh, in doctrine showing uprightness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, uh, that he that is uh, of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants... To be obedient unto their masters and to please them in well, uh, please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but, uh, showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrines of God, our Savior in all things. And then I want to show you something. And then I want to prove it to you. For is because. So after he says all these things, he says, because, because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared on all men, teaching us. So that's very important there. You see the little word for, you might say, well preacher, did you come this morning to preach on uh, one little word for? Well, I want to tell you something. It's an interesting word. It's a conjunction. And if we uh, notice it every time we find it, and that's not hard to do because it's found in the Bible about 9,000 times. And so you could do that easily, I think. Now, wh- what we should understand is there are two meanings for that word for. Two meanings. One is because or because of, And the other is in order that we might obtain something. In other words, and I've given this illustration before, I remember not long ago, that passage of Scripture that is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And those that were convicted when Peter had preached come to him and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin." And a lot of times that word for there is misinterpreted. Because for can either be in order to obtain, or it can be because of. I believe it's because of in this passage of Scripture that I just quoted to you. And I've used this illustration before. I remember a long time using it in debating that verse of Scripture with someone. And I said, well, if I told you I went to the store for a loaf of bread you would think the word for there meant in order to get it. But if I told you I went to the hospital for a broken leg, you wouldn't think I went to the hospital in order to get it. You'd think I went to the hospital because I already had it. And that's what that means. So that's a really important word. And I stress it this morning simply because it helps us to understand the nature of Scripture when it gives us a listing of commands or things for how to live the Christian life, because the basis for our obedience has been provided for us, and we ought to be thankful for that. And so that's what's happening in this passage of Scripture here. Now let me let me illustrate that. If you if you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew. Uh, in the book of Matthew in chapter number 1. Now still sharing with you this this matter of the word for. And, and I really want to illustrate that because I think that it's important that we know this for a fact. As a matter of fact, I looked up the use of the word for uh, every time it's used in the first three chapters of the book of Matthew. And twelve times it meant because of, and only two times it meant in order to obtain something or achieve something. Now, here's the illustration I want to give you. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21, and I'll read these two verses because they have the word for in them. And it says this, They're talking about Joseph. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for, there's that word, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And we know that means because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Then in verse 21, and I love this verse, for she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now we know that means because he's going to save his people from their sin. I'll give you another one, right quick. In chapter three, and in uh, or in uh, chapter two, and in verse uh, two, we find it again, and it's what it says: saying, "Where is he that is born?" Uh, King of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And it means because we've seen his star. In verse number 5 it says this, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judah, For, uh, 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 Judah, for thus it is written in the prophets... We know that means because it has been written in the prophets. And in verse 6, be But thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou the least among the princes among Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor and shall rule his people. Because out of thee. That's what that means. It means because. Uh, Let me just give you another one right quick. In verse 13 of that chapter. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be there until I bring the word, for Herod will seek the child to destroy him. It means because. Because he's going to. And we can just go on and on and on. In verse 18. In Ramah was their voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children because of her children and would not be comforted because of them. Verse 20 saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Meaning because of. You say, preacher, why would you go to that much trouble to point that out in the Bible? Because that's how important it is that we interpret that little word for, because we can be misled if we're not careful. So we have that in our text this morning, the word of for. So we can conclude that the teachable can follow the commands that are given in the Scripture. Now, that's important. You know, if if you read the Bible, if you know the Lord and you read the Bible, you know that some things are really difficult. And I think as time goes on in this world that we live in, they can be even more difficult to follow closely the Word of God. Because our society has drifted so far away from the teachings of God's Word. We know that so far away from the teachings of God work. Did the Bible say that that would happen? The Bible does say that would happen. And the Bible says as it comes close to time for Christ to come back to this world that would be more prevalent in our world that we live in. And so we shouldn't think uh, 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 that that's an unusual thing. And so it becomes more difficult. And I often make mention of the fact that I I pray for our young people and I I feel for them because I've reach the age and looking back to know that they're growing up in a world that is different from the world I grew up in when I was young. And the temptations are greater. And the pressures are greater on them. And we should remember to pray for our young people. Not just for our children or our grandchildren, but to pray for all the young people that are part of our church. Because it's a difficult world that they live in. And so we would know by looking at this that I, I need help. Lord, I need help in following Your Word and living my life in a way that's pleasing in Thy sight. And so the text is telling us that we have that. We have the grace that has been placed in us. The grace in us. So here we have, in this uh, passage of Scripture, a list, a list and I, I think this is important. I remember not long ago pointing this out, that in the New Testament, particularly in the letters pastoral epistles and church epistles, that we find this often. A list where it comes to us in rapid fire. Just in rapid fire. One thing right after another. Uh, Like it is in our text this morning. And then to conclude that statement with the word for, because we can obey this we can obey this if the grace of God is in us. And I remember pointing out one passage not long ago, it's found in the in the book of Ephesians in chapter number 4. And I I'll, I'll share that with you again. In Ephesians chapter 4. And I think this is interesting because it has the word for in it too. Now when I start reading this, you don't you don't you can listen to these words. You would understand immediately that this is a list of instructions about how I ought to live my life. We find them in the New Testament. And so here's what Paul says. He says in the 22nd through the 24th verse of this, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that's manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be Rewarded in the spirit of uh, renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And here's where he starts. He starts right here. Once we read that, we'd say, "Okay, how can I do that? How can I put off something and put on something?" And then he begins, verse 25. Now listen to it. I'll read it rapidly. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is... Uh, good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ uh, uh, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Then he goes right on in the 5th uh, cha- verse, chapter, and says this, Be ye therefore followers of God, dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice for a good sweet-smelling fa- savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetous, let it not once be named among you as becoming saints, You say, Preacher, that is a rapid fire group of instructions. And we find that in the Bible. And I thought it was interesting that as you read on down, you find the word for, because it says in verse 5, For this you know, that no hornunger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. For you know, because you know this, Because you understand this. And also in verse 8 it says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's what this is about. And in verse 9 it says, For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So that's what that means. In our text this morning, we have a list of instructions that are given and then we are given the reason why we can obey that. We can obey that by grace that is in us. And so I, raise the question again. What is the difference between someone who loves instructions and loves the Word of God and g- g- tries their very best to follow that and be pleasing unto the Lord and those who care little for the instructions of the Word? What's the difference? The answer is clear. It is the grace of God that it in someone. And I thank God for two little words in the book of James where He's talking about God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You like that? Okay, you might wonder, say, well, how can I have more? Well, there's two words there in that context. It says, more grace, more grace. That means we can have that. We can have that. And and you know, the, the answer to that is when somebody comes to the place in their life where their uh, humility just... Uh, takes over because they know they need that, and they humble themselves before God, and if we do that and ask him, he will give us more grace. that's what the bible uh, promises us in, in in that scripture passage. and so when the word because follows. a a group of instructions like this, and it's the basis we know we can obey. Now, I want to point out a couple of things that I think are interesting in that passage that I read to you. Verse 1 through verse 10. One of the things that I think is interesting in that is that it it categorizes the target. It categorizes the target. Let Let me explain how that is. In verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, aged men. In verse 3, it says, aged women. In verse 4, it says, young women. In verse 6, it says, young men. In verse 9, it says, servants. Isn't that interesting? I couldn't help but think about this as I looked over this passage of Scripture and thinking that well, I used to be in the category of young men. You know, I could have looked it up in the Scripture and see what it says, and uh, that's not the case anymore. I would have to fall into the category of aged men. And I've told you all the story about how that uh, Tim's kids got me a, some kind of card on uh, his birthday or, or Father's Day or something, and all, all of them drew a picture. And Brenton, my grandson, drew a picture of me, and he put dots all over my face. And I said, "Brenton, why did you put dots all over my face?" He said, "Cause you're old. <laughs> Cause you're old." But that's that's an interesting thing that we can look in the Bible, and we can see that sometimes instructions are given uh, a, a categorized. You know, and, and of course, things change in our life as far as age is concerned, and we make adjustments for those things. And then we find that God gives us unique instructions related uh, to that. And that's not the only one. Of course, we, we know that the Bible gives an illustration about it teaches about widows in New Testament days, and it isolates them. And uh, we find when the church uh, ordained deacons in uh, uh, Acts chapter 6 that it was because the widows were being neglected. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 3 addressing that it says honor the widows that are widows indeed. And then you can look up that text and you will understand why he said that are widows indeed. Widows indeed. So the church had an obligation to see to them, and so the Bible isolates them off and gives instructions related uh, to that. Then there's another one, and you can look at this one if you like, in First John, in the book of First John, and I want to read some verses, verse 12 through verse 14, and here's what John says, talking about categorizing these. He said, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So there's another example about how the Scriptures addresses Uh, addresses us along in that way. And so that's an interesting thing that we find there. And we ought to always notice that. We ought to always pay attention to that very thing. But I think the greatest lesson that is in these verses that I read, verse 1 up through uh, verse 11. Verse 1 through verse 11. I think the most important thing is, and sometimes we don't think about this, we don't understand it, but we, if you know the Lord today, if God has saved you by His grace, then we need to understand that the Bible teaches us that we represent our Lord. The Bible tells us that in, it's in the 11th chapter of Acts, that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, Christians is an important word. And it's something that uh, they were called that. You say, well, what were they before they were called that? They were disciples, and the verse word "disciple" of course means a follower of Christ and a learner. A learner, so they were called that. They Jesus called them that, and then uh, I, I think that the outside began to call them Christians because they followed Christ. And of course, as time has gone on, they've adopted that name and accepted that name and understand that as a Christian, we represent. Christ. We represent our Savior in this world. That's exactly what we ought to, ought to see uh, from that. We represent Him as Christians. We represent the, we represent uh, the church. I'm a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And everywhere I go, I'm a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And my life, the way I live my life, is a reflection of, Upon my church. And I, you know I say this all the time. We should be careful not to ever bring reproach. On the name of Christ. Or on our church. We should never do that. We take that seriously. We really do. And we should. We ought to. But there's something in this passage of Scripture. That even goes farther than that. And that we represent the Word of God. That we represent the Word of God. Now... We may think that the unsaved world out here don't know the difference. We can't possibly be a bad witness or whatever. i got news for you. They do. Even if they don't know the Word of God, they know what a Christian ought to live like. They know what the attitude ought to be. They know how they should talk. They know that they should be careful the places they go in this world. And, and I've said this oftentimes that uh, our, our life that we live, our, the, new, uh, the, the King James Version called our conversation, the way we live our life, is the best witness we have. The best witness. And I believe that. That doesn't mean we're not to witness verbally to people. That doesn't mean that we're not to seek out those that the Spirit of God may be dealing with and to help them come to a saving knowledge of Christ? That doesn't mean that at all. But I want to tell you something, my friend. If your lifestyle is not right, your verbal witness won't amount to nothing. You understand? That's just the way it is. And, and you know, uh, the world is watching us. The world is watching us. Sometimes it does so in a critical way. Sometimes it's doing so to try to find their way along in life. So, we may think that they don't know, but they do. You'd be so wrong if you think that. Because you know what the world, the unsaved world, understands? Character. It understands character. It really does. It can recognize it and see it. I think one of the most interesting verses related to this grace, uh, and it, it points out what I'm sharing with you right now, and it's in the 11th chapter of the book of, uh, book of Acts. Uh, and, and it's talking about uh, Barnabas being sent down to Antioch to see what's going on at that little church. And it says, Then the tidings of these things came in the ears of the church which is in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, and he should go so far as Antioch. Listen to this. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God. I didn't know you could see it (laughs) and I can't what it means is he saw grace in action in and through the lives of the believers that was at Antioch he could see that you see there's a good testimony there's something that's uh, acknowledgeable uh, by people that are around us and so the the world knows the the difference And they, you know, oftentimes I've heard heard this statement made, you know, we know that there are real Christians and then there are nominal Christians. What is a nominal Christian? A nominal Christian is one in name only. Just one in name only. And you know what else they are? They're hypocrites. They really are. And you know what? The unsaved world out there, every once in a while, they point that out, you know. Uh, of course, it's just an excuse. But oftentimes, I've invited people back years past. I think maybe only once or twice I've heard it. In the, I, you know, I've been here be 22 years uh, in in the month of August or month. Yeah, and and that's a long time. But I I've heard it a couple of times. People say uh, I've invited them to church, and they say, "Well, I'm not going to come because you got hypocrites there." <laughs> Well, I, you know how I answer people. I say it this way. Well, anywhere the gospel is preached, that's where a hypocrite ought to be. Amen? They ought to be there. They ought to be there. We welcome all of them to hear the gospel proclaimed. And we pray that the grace of God might move in their life and they would no longer be a hypocrite. They'd be a genuine, genuine Christian. But every once in a while you hear that, you know, and... And uh like I say, it's used as an excuse. Too many hypocrites in the church or whatever. And so don't think for a moment. Now even though that's an excuse, sometimes they may be right. They just might be right. They might know one. They might know one because they've observed their lifestyle out here in the in the in the public. So what does the world know? You know, I I, I thought about that a little bit and I thought Does the world know something that the Bible actually teaches even if they didn't know what the Bible said? Do they know that? Let me give you a couple examples. In the book of 2 Timothy, just back a page or two from our text, in the book of 2 Timothy and in chapter number 2. In chapter 2 and verse 19. This is an awesome verse and those out there in the world who don't know the Lord probably is not aware of this verse at all but listen to what it says. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now the world out there don't, probably don't know that verse. But you know what they do know? They, knew, they know the principle that's set down in this Verse. They know that if someone professes to be a child of God, they ought to be people who depart from iniquity. And they'd be right. They do know that. I know because I've talked to them many, many times. Let me give you another example. There's a passage in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke and chapter number 9. And I'll read this. Chapter number 9. All of you are aware of what this says. And... Uh, In the ninth chapter and in verse, uh, ninth chapter, verse 23 through 25, let me read this. Now, most of the time, people that are in the world and that don't know the Lord, they probably are not aware of what this says. It says this in verse 23, and this is Jesus talking, and he said unto them, If any man come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. How many of you know that's a really hard thing to do? It really is a hard thing to do. We don't like doing that. We don't like denying ourselves. And he goes on to say, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he should gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Those are Christ's words. Now, like I said, more than likely, the unconverted world out here don't know that. They don't know that, those verses. But you know what they do know? They know the principle that's set forth in these passages, which says, someone who claims to be a child of God ought to be loyalty to the Lord. All loyal to Him. They think that. And they're right. They're absolutely right. Even if they don't know what the Scripture says, they're absolutely right in that. And then I'll give you another one right quickly. In First Peter, uh, and it's just over a page or two, in chapter number two, First Peter chapter 2, and verse number 21. And here's what it says. For even here unto where you call, because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Now, the unsaved world out here probably don't know that verse of Scripture. But you know what they do know? They know the principle that's set forth in that. That if somebody claims to be a Christian, they ought to follow the Lord. Just pure and simple, they ought to follow the Lord. So don't think for one minute that the world out here does not know how a Christian ought to live their life. And that's what these verses are talking about. Now, something that I think is really interesting in here, I told you that as a child of God, we represent the Lord. We represent our church. We represent the Word of God. Now, we, we might all understand that we represent the Lord. We're a Christian. We ought to understand that we, sh- we should not bring reproach upon our church because we're a member of We ought to be careful about how we live our life out here in the world, how we talk, places we go, and the things like that. We would understand that. But usually people don't think about the Word. But did you know that it's here in two places in this passage of Scripture? In two places. One expression is in verse number 5. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. That's serious. That the word of God be not blasphemed, and of course that means to bring reproach, or reproach being cast upon the gospel. You see, like that. And so, a person if needs to be real careful that we are not misrepresenting God's word. It could be blasphemed not by others who would be critical of what they see uh, in their life. And then the other one is found in verse ten. And this is an interesting one. And it says this, talking about servants obeying their masters and pleasing them uh, and not answering again, not talking back. Uh, In verse 10, not prolonging. That is taking from someone that which is not yours and it could be wasting your time when you're working for somebody. So all of you who work in a factory like I work for years and years in a factory, don't be goofing off. Because you'll be prolonging if you do. (laughs) But that's really in there. And here's what is interesting in this, in verse number 10. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorn the doctrine of God, or the teachings of God in all things. Now that word adorn means to make it attractive. It might be like we put ornaments uh, around in our house or, or something like that. Just to make something more attractive. And folks, I want to tell you something. This is truly teaching of the Word of God. That we should seek, by the way we live our life and our attitude among a lost world that we live in, that we adorn or make attractive the teachings of God, the doctrines of God our Savior making them. Now, that's a good lesson. And then to bring it up to where we started, he says, for or because the grace of God that appeareth unto all men, that, has, that bringeth salvation, hath appeared unto all men, teaching us, teaching us. So we have to look at those things he said before he got down to verse 12. We have to look at that because it's making reference to what has been said. Isn't that something? And so, the rest of what it talks about, and we'll address that next Sunday morning, where it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So we're being taught if the grace of God is in us. We're being taught. You know what? I shared with you about instructions from the Bible. I think it was last Sunday morning from the book of Proverbs where instruction is found so many times. I think 25 times or 29 times, I can't remember, in that book. And really only a couple of times anywhere else in the Bible. But you know what the Bible says about that? It says that fools despise instruction. I don't know about you, but I love those two words that says more grace, and I confess to you this morning, I need more grace. Oh Lord, bless me with more of it. Because my experience with it over the last 57 or so years has been a good experience, so I want more of it. Let's bow together. Father, we praise You and thank You this morning that we could look at these verses. And be challenged by them. And more, I think more important than anything else is to understand that we represent You in this world. We represent our church if we're a member. And we represent the Word of God. Oh God, I pray for myself that You'd lead me, that the Word of God would not be blasphemed by anything in my life. And Lord, that You'd help me and all of us, that we may learn how to adorn Your teachings by the way we live our life. Now bless us as we close this service. Bless us as we sing this hymn. And Father, if there's anyone that You're speaking to and convicting, I pray, O God, this might be the time when they would respond to what You're doing in their life. And we would rejoice in that. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me this morning as Brother Aaron leads us in a closing number.